we are having some technical difficulties, as you can tell. And I normally preach down there. I don't like to be up here, but uh, but I got to be up here because that's so y'all can hear me better. Um, and uh, so let's turn to John. The, the, it's called the Gospel according to John. Uh, one of the four Gospels, John chapter three, verses nine through fifteen, and. Um, we're in this series that I'm calling the Red Letters of Jesus. And by that, we mean we're just particularly going to focus and hone in on what Jesus, what is recorded that Jesus actually said in John. And we're going to look at what Jesus did also in the way of Jesus and the way he lived, all part of the message of Jesus. And so that's why we're calling this the Red Letters of John. It's going to guide us. Uh, as, as we take this journey together. And um, we're in this, this chapter here, that, and we have s- slowed down in this chapter because this is the first conversation where you, where you see lots of red letters. And Jesus is saying uh, some, I, I think, very deep mystical things here. And so I want us to slow down and meditate together on uh, this chapter. So John chapter three, verses nine to 15. This is the conversation Jesus is continuing with with Nicodemus, who was the teacher of the Jews during this day, probably the the most renowned scholar. Uh, And he's he's snuck out to find Jesus at night. He's interested in this this one. And and this is the conversation we pick up here, beginning in verse nine. This is after Jesus told him that in order to see and enter the kingdom, you must be born from above. Nicodemus responded and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, you are the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen And you people do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. So that whoever is believing in him has life eternal. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we, I pray that we would meet with you now. And you would slow us all down and, and um, help us to experience you. All of our emotions are allowed to show up. Before you, all of our feelings, you welcome them. And so we come as we are and, and uh, all the sounds that we make are also welcome. I pray we would hear your voice shining through everything else, though, that we might find this life eternal. All of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter why we're here, even I pray. That's my prayer in Jesus name. Amen. Um, so Jesus here is referencing, you may know this, this story that he references about the serpent in the wilderness being held up. This, that's from Numbers 20, uh, chapter 21, deep in the Old Testament. The Israelites are uh, in the wilderness. They've been uh, freed from their slavery in Egypt. 
And they're on this long, meandering journey, but not all who wander are lost, right? As Tolkien said. But they come to a place where they, they think not only are they lost, but they are, they're really mad. They're really impatient. They begin grumbling, both, it says, against God and against God's spokesman, so to speak, Moses, their leader. And Moses appeals to Yahweh as the personal name for God. Um, a name that couldn't be uttered once upon a time. That's what the Jewish people thought. Um, and it's hard to even translate. It means I am. Talk, talk about mystical. What's your name? I am. <laughs> it's God's name. And I am tells Moses in verse 9 of chapter 21 of Numbers, okay, make a fiery serpent. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, these vipers, these snakes started biting the, a lot of the people, and a lot of them had died. They, they, they had um, died. So God tells Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it up on a pole. It's like a bronze serpent, set it up on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees this serpent shall live. So Moses does it, and sure enough, so he kills a snake, I guess, and, and somehow makes it into bronze, and this bronze serpent, and puts it up on a pole, and, and as people are dying of this disease, they would look up at the serpent and right then and there be healed. Um. Jesus is referencing that. And so what does he mean? How does it relate to him? Uh, a few of us are reading this book called Breathing Underwater. And anyone's welcome to join us. Uh, Molly and I are meeting on every other Wednesday and talking about it over lunch. And, um, and uh, I know one individual who, who uh, hasn't come yet to House of Mercy is reading that with us. And anyone's welcome, whether you come or not, uh, you can read it along. Because we're, we're reading this Uh, specifically to see how we can bring the 12 steps of of Alcoholics Anonymous into the life of this church for everyone. And in in that book uh, by Richard, Father Richard War, with the subtitle, Spirituality of the 12 Steps, he, he says, this is the truth about every human being. We are all addicts. Every single one of us have a disease now. That, that's not how the Bible begins. That isn't how things originally were. And that is not how things will always be. That's, that's key to, to, to know and believe. It is the way it is now. We are all addicts. We are unable to cure our addiction alone. What is our addiction? Well, it is to our egos. We're going to confess this later, those who are inclined to it. Uh, it is our way of thinking, our, our way of living, our defenses. Me, me, me. Self-absorption. That is our addiction. As it says in the program, it's stinking thinking. That's what we are addicted to. All of us. So this is what Roar says about that. He says, we're all spiritually powerless not just those who are physically addicted to a substance. Alcoholics simply have their powerlessness visible for all to see. The rest of us disguise it in different ways and overcompensate for our more hidden 
and subtle addictions and attachments, especially our addiction to our way of thinking. What if our way of thinking is not reality? <laughs> what, if, what if we are actually self-deceived? We shouldn't live according to our way of thinking, then should we? We need help. It's an addiction to, to ego and doing things my way, an addiction to my defenses and my way of thinking and processing reality. We are, it's all we, it's the water that we, that we swim in. And we don't even know we're swimming in it. That's what's so insidious and, and about this disease. We cannot manage this addiction, friends. We cannot manage it on our own. We cannot manage this disease and we need help. Enter this Jesus. The New Testament says that with Jesus, and especially with Jesus's, and we'll talk about this, but with his life, his, his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, it says new creation is now. We're not waiting for it. It is now. It began some 2,000 years ago. It is now. Do you see it? Are you experiencing it? Um, Roar says that wherever there was human suffering, this is important to know about Jesus in the pages of the Gospels, and we see, we'll see it in John. Wherever there was human suffering, Jesus was concerned about it now and about its healing now. It is rather amazing. Listen to what he says here. It is rather amazing and very sad that we pushed it all off into a future reward system for those who were, quote, worthy as if any of us are. This is what religion, what Christianity in a lot of places and a lot of uh, circumstances, and it's predominant in America. It's what it's done. So Jesus shows up, offers healing so deep. I'd love to have seen how the, the healing took place for those in the wilderness. I, I don't, it, with the Bible, we're brought sort of through the veil. We see what's really going on from the other side. On that side, it probably didn't look quite, uh, well, as miraculous, <laughs> maybe. But I wonder what it would have been like then. I know the healing Jesus can bring now to you and me, it is so deep, you can't really see it at, at first. As, as Roar says, it reaches into our, our unconscious at the hidden level. Why does it go there? Well, because that is where most of our garbage is actually buried. That's why. That's where the healing must begin. Or there is no healing. There is no transformation. This has to happen in order for us to be truly healed. And the church, and I, I've been asking this question since I was basically booted out of my former church and this thing began called House of Mercy and, and once the world was shut down and, um, and we're all rethinking church and life and all these things and I've been asking myself, what is the point of church? I think it's a good question. And this is where I'm settling more and more. The church is the, the 12-step program that enables this life, this healing to happen. Now, it's not the only 12-step program. 
You're, if you're involved in a 12-step program, this, this is not a replacement for that. What I'm saying is your 12-step program is a form of church. That is the only place, I think, in our culture where healing is actually taking place. So we are learning from that. This church, this 12-step program called House of Mercy, um, well, we are going to, this may be one of the differences, is we are going to specifically talk about the higher power. That it will be all about the higher power. We're going to talk very specifically and because it's important to, um, I think, have a relationship, particularly with Jesus, the Christ. Christ is not his last name. It's a title. The anointed one, the Messiah is that is our higher power. And I believe he is key for our deep healing. So that's what we'll talk about at this 12-step program called House of Mercy. But keep going to your other 12-step programs for sure. So the same way the Israelites, you're probably getting sort of Jesus' reference now. The same way the Israelites looked up at the bronze serpent and were healed, Jesus, he's prophesying, he will be held up on a cross. Not a pole, but a cross. He will become the disease, as it were, become the curse. As the New Testament says, as it's also prophesied in the Old Testament, and by looking to him, now we are healed. Not just of a, of a disease from a, a, a snake bite, but the healing that we all need the most in our deep unconscious soul. So here's the main teaching. Jesus offers us full recovery. Jesus offers us full recovery from what ails us the most. And it's actually, I mean, if your addiction to a substance is only a symptom of this, Jesus offers us full recovery from what ails us the most. All we have to do is look to him. So first, here's the problem. We believe in death more than life. Have y'all noticed this about our culture, about, about religious people like myself even. Um, there's a quote there in the liturgy on the side there. This is uh, attributed to, to Albert Einstein, um, who, pretty smart guy, right? Albert Einstein, um, scient- one of the smartest scientists ever to walk the earth probably. He, this is a, supposedly what he said one time. He was also a spiritual man. He said, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. He believed in the latter. It's actually what made him a good scientist, the best scientist. What, what if this is all miraculous? All of a sudden, what we think is ordinary is extraordinary. We need eyes, different eyes to see the reality of that, though. And we confess, therefore, that, that we must, God, I don't have those eyes. Will you give them to me? Um, until then, we, 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 center, we actually center our life around death. I heard someone this week talking about this. Um, that our faith, even as religious people, is in a reality where nothing is a miracle. We kind of live that. We assume nothing is miraculous. As religious people, I'm saying. 
which may not be you. We're so glad that you're all here. But even, even religious like people do this, even despite what they might say. Instead, we, we actually believe in death, not life. We believe death is greater than life, and we believe we act as if death is final. So in fear, we try our best. We center our life around avoiding it. You see, foolishly, right? But yet that's how we live. That's how we center our life. And Jesus says, no, no, don't stop believing in death. Believe in life, and I am he. That's what Kim read in, at, at the call, for the call to worship. He's saying, look to me, not death. Center your life around me. And though you die, you actually will live. That's what he's saying. It, it will only look like death on this side, you see. On this side only. And people grieve rightly for those who die because it, it is a loss. But on the other side, it is it is life to the full, actually. This is what Jesus said. I mean, how else do you interpret Jesus' words that Kim read? In John 11, you may notice this is, this is after Jesus' dear friend, maybe his, uh, certainly one of his dearest friends, Lazarus, has, had died, had, had been in the tomb for four days. And Jesus just goes, no, he's, he's just asleep. He's actually not dead. We read that and we think, we don't actually think, we don't actually believe Jesus, do we, Christians? We don't actually believe him. And I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging us to start believing the words of Jesus, actually. I'm telling myself that. He, he, he wasn't, well, either he was a complete lunatic or he was speaking the truth. It's one or the other. Um, but this is what he said. This is what he really believed. What Kim read, he's talking to, uh, to, to Martha and, he, and it said, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He first said, do you believe in the resurrection? And Martha says, yeah, I know that. And Jews didn't have a well-formed sort of like view of the afterlife, really, because all the focus was on the present, actually. But Martha has some sort of um, belief that, that at some point, yeah, after we die, we'll kind of, something will happen. We'll meet God. And that's what he thinks, that's what she thinks that, that he's talking about, but this is what Jesus says. No, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. The one, and this is always put in the present in John, the faith is always a participle. The one who is believing in me will live even if he dies. In other words, there actually is no death. That is what Paul says in Timothy. Past tense, with the, the, the finished work of Christ, with the resurrection of the Christ, death has been abolished. So why are we putting our faith in death? I wonder what would happen if we started putting our faith in life. We might begin to notice the miraculous. Jesus tells Martha, um, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who is believing in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives... And is, is believing in me will never die. Say what? Uh, okay, yeah, he didn't really mean that. He, he really believed that. She said to him, okay, yes, Lord, I have come 
like it's something kind of the penny, the penny dropped perhaps right there. I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who comes into the world. And when the son of God shows up, the world changes. The world as we know it changes. So in verses 11 and 12, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, it's interesting, he uses the plural there, the the, the we pronouns and and our pronouns. He he says, you don't believe to Nicodemus our testimony, what we are saying. This is what we're saying and and you don't believe it. And it's a choice, you know, we all have. We we can either live as if that's true or if it's not, but it it, it will radically change what you see actually. And, and I, I believe that if we take Jesus at his word and operate with that faith, yes, it's, it's a leap to Jesus. It's not a blind leap. We, we are leaping to someone. And we're told that once we make that step, we actually begin to understand reality. We don't stay blind. We, we begin to see what is really there. So Jesus says, if you don't believe the, our testimony about earthly things, which I take him to mean the, the, the earthy metaphor for birth um, in the previous verses, if you don't believe that, how will you believe heavenly things? That's what he tells Nicodemus here in verses 11 and 12. Now, I think what he's talking about there with heavenly things actually is the crucifixion. And we know that because that's where he goes with this story that he references in the Old Testament. The crucifixion, the cross becomes uh, the ladder connecting heaven and earth. And so he, he, he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you anyway. Even though you're probably not going to believe Nicodemus, I'm going to tell you anyway. I'm going to take you behind the veil. I'm going to show you what really actually was happening with the Israelites first. Oh, great PhD in, in Jewish history. I'm going I'm to tell you what was going on, on the others, what that's actually about. And then I'm going to show you what it points to. I'm going to tell you what it's pointing to. And it's going to point to the creator, the one through whom, as the New Testament says, all things exist. That is Jesus. I'm going to talk about a time when the creator will swallow the disease inflicting creation. That's coming on the cross Jesus prophesies. He says, I will swallow this disease and new life will flow from it. Because uh, as, as, as harsh a disruption as death is and an intrusion, which it is, it is not greater than the creator. So what happens when the creator dies? Well, death can no longer hold. It, it can't hold divinity. And when the creator dies, the whole world changes because the creator who is greater than death, comes back to life. He's saying, what happened in the wilderness is really about that. And that's what's about to go down, Nicodemus. So Rohr says this, one last thing about the fact that we believe in death. He says, it seems we humans would rather die, though, than change or admit that we are mistaken. Have y'all felt that before? (laughs) This thinking mind, he says, with a certain tit-for-tat rationality, made the gospel itself into an achievement contest in which the one with the most willpower wins, even though almost everybody actually loses by the normal criteria. 
He says, that is how far the ego, and he says, with ego, read false self, Paul's word, sarks for flesh in the, in the Greek. That is, that is how far the ego will go to promote and protect itself. It would sooner die than change or admit that it is mistaken. It would sooner live in a win-lose world in which most lose than allow God any win-win victory. Then he says, and I, and, and I can hear him saying this with like remorse, grace is always a humiliation for the ego, it seems. It is that stinking thinking, though, friends, that must die so that you and I can live. Lastly, let's believe in life. Let's, let's reorient around life who, surprise, is a person that comes into this space. <laughs> so close into this space in our heart. So, so being born again, what we, that language, uh, literally being born from above, uh, being reordered, ordered as I was saying last Sunday is what I was talking about. Um, transformation. Not, not only is that possible, it must happen. It must happen. And if it's not happening, we are not following Jesus. Not only is transformation possible, but if it's not happening in us, we are not following Jesus. We're not following life. We're not centering around life. Religion and, and the church um, is for this. It's what it's supposed to be for. It's supposed to be for transformation, <laughs> deep healing, or listen, there is no reason to go to church. There, there, there's no reason to practice religion if it's not doing that. Um, like the 12 steps, and I'm, I'm learning this language myself and I love it. Uh, if you work the program, it works. If you work it, it will work on you. Working at first does require showing up to the meeting, though, doesn't it? Well, this, this is the meeting. It actually requires physical presence at first. And if you work the program, it, it will lead to your transformation. Or, and if, it, if it's not happening, either we as individuals are not working it or the church is not working it. That, that is the institution. Only one of two things. But it's supposed to be about this deep healing and transformation. Uh, somewhere along the way, church became about, um, the goal became like not sinning. Whatever, whatever, and everyone has a different list of what that is even. Somewhere along the way, the church became, that became the goal is not sinning rather than actual change and transformation. That's the problem. And, and you know what came in its place? Ego. Particularly for those who thought they were no longer sinning. Um, those are like the, the dry drunks is what Roar says and breathing underwater. Um, those who just avoid sin are like those who he says, just avoid drinking. Uh, that's, that's, that's the first step. It's a good step, but it's not the deep healing that can, it's not, it's, it's not its culmination yet for sure. It's just the, just the beginning. It doesn't lead to illumination and healing necessarily on a deep soul level. This is what he says. He says, um, dry drunks are those who, and now I'm saying this is like the religious person who thinks that they are no longer sinning and it is their crusade to get you to stop sinning. Okay. This is what they're like. 
like dry drunks who do not drink or take drugs anymore, but drive the rest of us to want to drink by their all or nothing thinking. Their religion has never touched them or healed them at the unconscious level. Where all this, this is a powerful statement where all the real motivations, hurts, unforgiveness, anger, wounds, and illusions are stored, hiding, and often fully operative. Following Jesus or trusting in him is what leads to healing there. That's what verse 15 is all about. Literally, it says, whoever is believing currently, right now, it doesn't matter what you did one minute ago. It doesn't matter what you're going to do next minute. Right now, this is the most important time of your life. <laughs> this moment will never come again. This moment, being present to it, is, is actually what it means to be human when we're at our best. So it says, whoever is believing or trusting in him, that is Jesus, has life now. And that is all that matters. You you like nothing at that point. There's nothing you need. Jesus' work, the gospel tells us, when Jesus said it is finished, he really meant it. It is efficacious. That would be the big theological word. Efficacious for all. But only those who are believing in Jesus experience it. Experience it and experience it now. So, so trusting, what does that mean? It's just a reference to, to following and living according to the word and way of the Christ. And he just keeps saying, come and see. I promise it will be worth it. Come and see. Uh, okay, so I, I'm ending this sermon at least, but, but most sermons, all the sermons probably in John, I'm asking this question at some point. Uh, we're assuming and imagining if Jesus were to walk in physically and we were to see him and we were to ask him, Jesus, what, what is the gospel? Like, what's, what's the good news? Like, gospel just means good news. Jesus, can you tell us some good news? As it relates to each passage, I'm asking that question for us. This is what I think he would say as it relates to this passage. Good news, friends. The crucifixion of Christ is the cure for creation. Creation needs needs a cure, needs healing. Don't, do you, are, we, are we aware of this? I, surely I don't have to convince you of that no matter what your spirituality is. Jesus is saying the good news, the claim is the crucifixion of the Christ is the cure for creation. All who look to him are healed. The church is the program for looking up at him. That's what we're encouraging us. That's what we're living to do. That's the goal. Look up at him that we might have this deep healing of our soul. If you work the program, it works for you. Come, come and see. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for... Um, sounds trite just to start saying thank you. Uh, but I, I don't know. That's all I can say. Um, I, I guess my prayer is that that I would realize the magnitude of even what I'm saying. And I pray that for my friends too. In Jesus' name, amen.